You see, if any scheme of grace, any scheme or plan of salvation is going to bring men out of a state of sin and misery into grace and glory, there has to be a way to overcome this hostility, this hatred, this uh, murdering God. And that's what men did. God sent His Son. What did they do? They murdered Him. They cried out at the gates of Pilate, away with Him, away with Him, crucify Him. We want to know what man thinks of God. They would murder Him. And if men could get into heaven, they would murder God Himself. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher. It is always a joy to bring the message of the gospel day by day from the pulpit of our Free Presbyterian Church to you in your home, your car, wherever you may be. And I trust that this word will draw you to seek the Lord. We're dealing today with irresistible grace. It's another essential part of the gospel because men have no heart for God no desire, no interest in the Savior. But God in grace sends the Holy Spirit to draw. And that is a key word in the Bible when you think of the irresistible grace. And the Bible also explains it as God putting a hook in someone's mouth like the fisherman who hooks the fish and draws him out of the water. And the fish will fight. The fish will oppose and want to continue uh, life in the water. But the fisherman, of course, reels it in. And here in John chapter 6, verse 37, we are told, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, and should raise it up again at the last day. And if the Lord Jesus here is to be likened as a fisherman, he has never lost a fish. The hook has never failed, And each one whom the Lord uh, hooks, he draws, and he lands, bringing them safely to the shore. And if you put your trust in the Lord Jesus, if you are saved by grace, then you are safe in Christ. He will never let you go. That's the doctrine of irresistible grace. And I trust that today that the Lord will draw you and bring you effectively powerfully to simple personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my prayer. Let us just ask the Lord to do that. Father, hear our cry today to speak by your grace and by your power to the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, to bring them, draw them to faith in the Lord Jesus. We ask that today that you will open hearts and minds to receive the good news of the gospel. And so we pray that as the voice of man is heard, uh, that men and women will hear the voice of God through the scriptures, through the texts of the Bible, 
that they might hear thee calling them and drawing them to saving faith in the Lord Jesus. Amen. And may the Lord answer that prayer and bring you savingly to Christ. So stay tuned with us now as we turn to this message, John chapter 6, verse 37. All that the Father giveth me, come to me. Amen. We're back to John 6. This is our preaching passage, and I suppose if there is one verse that we would look at would be verse 44. And these are the words of the Lord Jesus. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. That brings us to the message today on irresistible grace, uh, maybe known as efficacious grace, the calling that cannot feel. It is the shepherd calling his sheep who always respond. Now, these five doctrines of tulip are like a set of stairs, and each step rests upon the previous one, right down to the, the bottom step, which is the first one, and that is total depravity. And it is because man is totally depraved, and he is unable to answer the call of God, unable to desire God, that there has to be unconditional election. Because if God were to save people conditionally, who is worthy? Who is clean? Who is righteous? Who is ready? There is none righteous, no, not one, the Bible says. So it has to be unconditional election, otherwise no one could be saved. And then also, because man is so totally depraved that he could never pay a penny for his own redemption, for his own salvation, it is essential that Christ pays the bill, that he makes the atonement for his people in full. We pay nothing. Jesus paid it all. That's the gospel that the Bible presents. And then also, because of man's total depravity, and man is not only uh, guilty, undeserving, but he is hostile to God. He is a rebel to God. He's a fugitive on the run, trying to get away from God. And because man does not want to turn to God, there needs to be irresistible grace. There needs to be that powerful, mighty arm of the Spirit of God working in the heart of man to turn his heart, turn his nature, so that he no longer is biased against God, but that he will truly seek and call upon the Lord to be his Savior. Now, I hope you notice that this is a Trinitarian gospel, that it is the Father who elects, it is the Son who dies, and it is the Holy Spirit who draws or who works by grace within our hearts to lead us to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, today, we are looking at the Spirit's work, the work of the third person of the Trinity. Now, he's sent by the Father. So, in this text, we chose, no man cometh to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. But God sends his Spirit, 
And also the, the Lord Jesus sends his Spirit to do this efficacious, this irresistible operation of drawing and bringing believers to the knowledge and to accept the very message of the gospel. We're going to learn today that this is an essential doctrine because man is a hater of God. Now, that seems strong, but that is the reality, and that is how the Bible presents man. When you go to the book of Romans, I'd like you to do that now, Romans 1 and verse 18, you will see this resistance, uh, rebellion, resistance, hostility, murder. Those are the things that are in the heart of man. Um, in verse 18, you'll see this resistance. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, that word hold means to suppress. It means to sit on it. It means to resist, to fight it. And God reveals himself, and with that knowledge, man rejects God. That's what he will do by nature. Go on down to verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. Now, you would think when people hear a missionary coming to tell them the good news of the gospel, that they would be very thankful. Have you ever had a door closed on your face when you went to share the gospel? Isn't it a strange thing that man who is so lost, so needy, so endangered of eternal destruction, that he is not thankful to God, and he's not thankful for that missionary at the door, but rather, what does it say here? Became vain in their imaginations. That is the natural state of man, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorrupt, uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. And then verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie. That's what man does with truth. That's what man does with light. Left to themselves, they resist and they fight. On down to verse 30 in that same chapter, backbiters, haters of God. I want you to online, underline that. You see, if any scheme of grace, any scheme or plan of salvation is going to bring men out of a state of sin and misery into grace and glory, there has to be a way to overcome this hostility, this hatred, this uh, murdering God. And that's what men did. God sent his son. What did they do? They murdered him. They cried out at the gates of Pilate, away with him, away with him, crucify him. We want to know what man thinks of God. They would murder him. And if men could get into heaven, they would murder God himself, God the Father. They murder everything they can of God. Man is hostile to God. Now, I take time to emphasize these things because it really is the bedrock of understanding the need for irresistible grace. If God does not do a miracle to turn man from being full of hate and spite and hostility 
If God does not do an irresistible work in the human heart, nobody will be saved. Nobody will be redeemed. Nobody will be brought into a state of salvation. And so, this hostility, this, this opposition to God has to be overcome. And I've got three points here today how this is done. God has to overcome man's deadness by regeneration. Now, I use the word deadness there because uh, in Ephesians 2, it talks about ye who were dead in trespasses and in sins. No life, no interest, no thought of God. And so, God has to overcome the deadness, and He does that by regeneration. Secondly, God has to overcome man's rebellion by giving him repentance. And so, we'll learn today that repentance is the gift of God. Repentance is not in the natural corrupt soil of human nature. Repentance is a new thing. It is a thing that comes. God turns men, draws them, and changes their very desire so that the things that they once loved, they hate. And the things they once hated, God, they love. That is the power of repentance. And then thirdly, to overcome man's doubts and denials, God has to give faith. And we learn in the Bible that faith is the gift of God. So, if you put those three things together, you have the miracle of irresistible grace, the regenerating work of the Spirit, creating spiritual life in that dead soul, giving repentance and faith so that they are brought out of a state of wretched hatred, hatred to God to become lovers of God. Now, I've pretty much given you the whole sermon in a nutshell, but I think it's necessary that we prove and back up and that we look at some of the details of these things. Now, regeneration, I don't think it's a, a strange doctrine in this pulpit. Uh, ye must be born again. Nicodemus uh, came to Jesus by night, and as the hymn puts it, he was asking the way of salvation and light, and the Lord said to him, ye must be born again. And Nicodemus, he was a religious man, probably a rich man. He was a self-starting man because he came to Jesus by night on his own. So, there are many things about this man you could say that made him stand out, but he still needed a new heart. He needed to be born again. And that regenerating new birth experience is the direct and sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. Now, in John 3, 8, we are told it's sovereign because it's like the wind. We cannot tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And that is a sovereign work. And in, in the world today, the Holy Spirit is working to give the new birth to this one and that one and the other one, and the Spirit of God works sovereignly as the wind works, and that is His ministry. And in doing that, God creates a new heart. Now, this 
was spelt out in the Old Testament in Ezekiel chapter 36, where it talks about, A new heart will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you, and my law will I put within your heart. And if you study Hebrews 8, which is the, really the commentary of the New Testament on that Old Testament promise of a new heart, and Romans, Hebrews 8 talks about the law written in our hearts, on the fleshy table of our hearts. This is the miracle of regeneration, so that we who hated God's law, we hated God's commandments, we hated His day, we hated His ways, we didn't want to be shut up to do just God's way. By a miracle, by regeneration, the law is now written on our hearts. And so, miraculously, the person who is born of the Spirit, the one who had no interest in the law of God, suddenly wants to do God's will, wants to please God, and wants to walk in His law. And He does it out of His heart. He doesn't do it kicking and fighting. He doesn't do it resisting anymore. Now, the term irresistible grace might give you the idea that God saves people against their desires. The miracle is that He so secretly and sovereignly goes right into the heart of man and turns his nature and puts that law within his heart so that he now really wants Christ, wants to have a Savior, wants to be done with sin. And that is the mighty miracle of regeneration. It's also described as a resurrection. When you think of Lazarus, when he was in that tomb, of course, all his faculties were gone. He was four days dead, and the Lord called him forth. He called him forth out of the tomb. And that is the irresistible, mighty, effectual call of the gospel to sinners. So that all things pass away, and all things become new. And we truly become a new creature. We're a new creation. We want to do the will of God and to serve Him. And we become the Lord's workmanship. And if you go to Ephesians 2.10, you'll see that term right there, where uh, we who were once dead in trespasses and sins are raised uh, to new life in, in the Lord. And then we become a new creature to do His work and to do His will. Um, well, you know the verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. So we're not saved by our own works, but we are saved to work. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. What a change! We were dead, corrupt, hostile, rebellious, but now with this new nature, we are become the workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that ye should walk in them. So God knows what He's doing. God knows how to get a man who's a, an ungodly, wretched, vile sinner to walk a new life, to become a new person. God knows how to save a sinner, 
and to make him a new creature, and he does it by the mighty power of his Spirit. And so there is a new heart. We also get a new mind. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. And of course, Romans 12 talks about the renewing of your mind. And so our thoughts become now holy thoughts. Our knowledge of God is no longer hateful and uh, to be despised, but rather instead of suppressing the truth and sitting on it and opposing it, we want to know more. We've now got an appetite for truth. We now are lovers of truth, lovers of the Lord Himself and the lovers of His law, and we want to know our God. And you have such texts in the Bible as that the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And when you're really born again, when you're really saved, you really do want to know God. And that's why you'll come to church. That's why you'll read your Bible. That's why you'll uh, get good books to read and spend time in God's Word. That's why you'll come to Bible studies and prayer meetings. I want to know my God. That's the new nature. That's the miracle of the new life. So we come now to the second point of overcoming man's rebellion, giving repentance. Now, I spoke about the problem of man's hostility and getting the, the door closed in your face. What is it that makes people want to close the door in your face? Well, sometimes uh, when we go with a church invitation, for example, and we say to someone, we'd love you to come to church to hear the gospel. And uh, then you get a little further into conversation as well. What do I have to do? Uh, you would say, well, you just come along and hear the way of salvation, and we'll pray that God gives you a new heart and that you change your life. Change my life? Close the door. It's over. Now, oh, some people have an idea of church just being a nice ear-tickling time, a nice happy time, community-spirited and all that. But change my life? Give up my, my pet hobbies and things that I love with all my heart? I have to give them up? The ways of sin, they would have to give them up. And so God has to work repentance. Repentance is a change of mind so that the things that we once loved, we love no more. Now, you think of the biggest sinners you imagine that God did this with, those who were so far from God, and God gave them the miracle of repentance. Well, of course, Paul the Apostle, he had to be stopped in his madness persecuting the church. And right there, God gave him a repentant heart. He, he came to hate what he did, sorrowful for his crimes of persecuting God's people. And he always called himself the chief of sinners for that reason, that he persecuted the church. Paul, who was mad to oppose the church, became sorrowful over that very thing. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is not just flick the switch and do something different. It is to sorrow over sin. There's a sorrowing component in true repentance.
You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Gallagher, and I do sincerely thank you for staying tuned with us right through the program thus far. Uh, and we're coming near the close now, and I just want to ask a few direct questions in light of the message today. Uh, this is doctrinal. Uh, this is gathering all the data and information of the Bible and the ministry of Christ, the apostles, the Old and New Testament, uh, and, and, and de- determining in a systematic way how the gospel is to be understood and how it is to be preached. And these doctrines really are the, the, the outcome, the fruit of that study. And I trust that today that you understand that God works by a scheme. He works by a system. And when he begins to build, he finishes. He is not that unwise builder who starts something that he cannot finish. When God sets his love upon men to save them, then he undertakes a way to clear away all the obstacles, to take away their sin. By that, of course, God sent his Son to die on the cross to pay the guilt, the debt of sin. But then there is the difficulty of man's hostility to God. Man is by nature a a fugitive, running, hiding, seeking to uh, an out away from God. But God by his Spirit draws, and it is that drawing power that leads men to personal saving faith in the Lord Jesus. And I wonder, have you been drawn to trust in the Lord Jesus. Yes, it is a change of mind. It involves repentance. It means a new heart. It means a turnaround. That's what repentance is. It's a 180-degree turn from going in one direction, the broad road to destruction, to turn right around and walk toward the way of life, salvation, liberty, and home. And I exhort you to turn, to hear the Savior calling, and give your heart to the Lord Jesus. He will receive you. All that the Father giveth him, he will not cast out. That's the promise, and I beg you to trust the Lord today. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca. CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. 
Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187-9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway, on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak.